Away, 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 dear brothers. It is me, your boy, Mutsa Chris Darmakufa. Welcome back to the Forest Brothers Podcast. You know what it is. Best podcast in the world. The haters gonna hate, but they know the truth. They can't go to bed without listening to the brothers. So spread the word, people. The brothers are here and they're here to stay. A lot of fans enjoying the breeze, as we like to say. That's our little tag, you know. You enjoy the breeze when you listen to the brothers. <laughs> I am joined here by my two brothers, Ngomezulu and Samson, and we are joined by a very special guest, our mandem from the forest itself, the motherland, Mr. Silver Star, budding cyclist, the man himself. <laughs> this podcast is about to be lit, guys. You know, it's about to be, we're about to go in. He's, 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 he's here to drop some reality about Liverpool, but, you know... You know, you know, on the on the podcast with therapy, you know, people come here. So if you have things you want to get off your chest, come to the brothers. We will come here with very open arms. But before I get too far ahead of myself, let me let the brothers say hi, so you can hear the lovely, lovely voices. Starting here with my boy Ngome Zulu. Ngome also about to say hi, and then we we'll go on to the boy Pengi, and then we we'll leave the floor to Mister Silver Star, so he can introduce himself to the wonderful fans of the Forest Brothers podcast. Over to you, Mister Mangoro. Thank you for the platform, Mr. Mutza. Uh, as always, good to be back. Uh, new week, new possibilities, uh, new interesting topics from the beautiful game of soccer. Uh, I'd like to say hello to uh, my two residents here, Mr. Mori and Mr. Masanga, and also welcome our special guest here, Mr. Sylvester Dollar, um, Klanga, uh, the Mr. Liverpool, the resident Liverpool expert. Uh, some he, I think he can argue with that one or maybe agree with it. But yeah, uh, we're happy to have you at the Forest Brothers podcast, and uh, hope you hope you have a great time because here it's all about a great time, honestly. Ah, dear listener, great to be back on the pod. What a lovely week! I'm here, back on the pod again with my brothers. I know you can't see me, but Dear listeners, I am pouring up today, pouring up because my Arsenal, you, 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 you gents know what my Arsenal did. You just know what my Arsenal did to those Spurs. Do you hear that? Do you hear that, dear listener? It's a celebration at the pod. Welcome to the pod. Let's get it going, boys. Let's get it going. Alrighty, guys. Um, Yeah, thanks for having me on the pod. I also take this opportunity to greet uh, the dear listener of this here wonderful podcast and i'm thanking you guys for allowing me the platform to come here and vent about my club liverpool uh it's gonna be exciting i'm looking forward to the conversations and i hope that after this session you will all be experts on all of the going-ons of uh, the club liverpool fc our oh, hey, mr silverstar i'm very happy i'm very very happy i see uh a lot of jubilation in this part today that miss that old mr sang is out there Almost sounding like Mac G. That's how happy he is. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, let's see if he stays um, cohesive during out this throughout this pod. You know, that with that heavy pour that I just saw. And don't worry, listener, he's listening to, he's, he's drinking water, so don't worry about him. <laughs> well, to get us started here, boys, let me actually let me actually have a little chat here, with my boy, Mister Sangi, because. The first derby that we saw this this past weekend was Arsenal versus Tottenham. You know, me basically versus the boy Sanye. Um, Tottenham were the favorites to win the game, in my opinion, and we could we should have we should have until Mister Anthony Taylor decided to do what he does best, be the star of the show. He 
you know, he uh, started to feel the tingles. He felt like the game was too boring and decided to just whip out a red card and dismiss Mr. Emerson Royale from the game for what we all know was a yellow card offense, in my humble opinion. And of course, just handed it over to Arsenal and they ran away with it. I was very, I was very broken when that old Xhaka scored against us, you know. That was the most painful part of the whole 3-1, that the fact that Xhaka scored against us. Um, a couple of fumbles, you know, Loris screwed us over. Emerson, I don't know why he's chosen all the time. You know, I don't understand why we play him. One of Jed Spence, we spent money on him. We're excited about him and he's still eating bench. So I don't understand that part. But Sangi, let me let me turn it over to you here so you can you can have your chance to gloat. And gloat, I know you shall, because that's your favorite thing to do, especially against Tottenham. Was it not because of Anthony Taylor that Arsenal won that game? Because if we do not get that record, I can bet you money that it was going to be a 2-2 game. We were going to get a goal back and it was going to end a draw as it should have. And would have walked away a point each. Happy, good derby vibes. Take it away, take it away Mr. Sangi. Don't you think that's fair, 2-2? My guy, fair is fair. Fair was the result. Fair was the result, my guy. And uh, before I go any further, dear listener, I know the man said I was drinking water, but you guys know I have Jesus on my team, right? You know Jesus plays for Arsenal, right? Rest assured, he turned that water into wine. <laughs> Anyways, let me continue. We outplayed Tottenham, okay? We outplayed you. And yes, you guys got to go back with the penalty that Gabriel stupidly gave away because Gabriel, even though I, I, I love Gabriel sometimes, but he's our Judas. We have Jesus on our team, also have Judas, and he, that's him right there. He's going he's gonna to cost us at some point. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I haven't said Arsenal title, you know, uh, title challenges yet. But if we were going to be title challenges, if we keep, if we kept up the form, if we got through October unbeaten, and we mounted any sort of title challenge, that man is the man who's going to throw it away. Mark my words. And he threw it away there. He there was no reason to make that challenge, and he did it, and gave you guys a pen, and he made Tottenham fans everywhere think that hey. We are on the same level as Arsenal. Hey, we're just as good. No, you're not. You're garbage, okay? And I'll tell you why. Because there were periods in that game where it was literally 80 to 20% possession. That's not... I'm not even making that up. You know, the little pop-up that comes in the in the, in the top left of the screen that, that tells you, you know, these little stats, that popped up a few times and we were dominating, okay? You could see it on the stats. You could see it on the pitch. And you could see it in the goals we scored. Party's goal, you guys literally had like six players in the box. You were doing all you could to defend that goal, but you couldn't. The Jesus goal came from us just dominating the ball, Saka destroying you guys, and Jesus got a uh, you know got got some space in the box and he put it away. Granted, Saka was you know they I can say the red card helped us because. I don't think Granit Xhaka gets in the box and scores that easily if you guys are, you know, have an extra man. But nonetheless, the whole game, we were carving you apart. The whole game, we had control of the ball. And also, in your little opening statement that I noticed you didn't say anything about your forwards. You guys had three forwards on, all right? One has won multiple golden boots. One scored a hat-trick last week. 
and the other one you spent 65 million on. None of those guys came close to touching, to causing us any sort of trouble from open play. Harry Kane did what he does from the penalty spot, cool. But in open play, those guys were locked up. Saliba, <laughs> I don't know, like if you look at Saliba's pockets today, you'll see Son in there. He's in there. He'll take out, you know, some gum. He'll take out his keys and you'll whip out Son and you'll be like, you're still here? Because yes, he's still there. He's still in Saliba's pocket. He lives there now. <laughs> That's his dad. <laughs> he couldn't go anywhere. He couldn't turn. He couldn't pass. He couldn't do anything. Richarlison, I don't even need to talk about Richarlison because I don't, I don't know what Richarlison does, you know, apart from pop up with the odd goal in, in the Champions League. You guys haven't haven't figured him out as that front three. You know, he just he doesn't work the way Kulusevsky does for you guys. So he wasn't effective. And Harry Kane, for the first time this season, Harry Kane was forced to make run to make runs in behind. Because every time he got it short, Partey was right there with him. And very early on, he realized if I'm gonna have any room, I actually have to go in behind. I have to beat Gabriel for pace, which he realized. He can't really do that much anymore because he's not 25. <laughs> he's getting up there and he's spent too much time coming in deep, being a playmaker. He doesn't do this stuff anymore. So, yeah, we outplayed you guys. Everything you guys tried to do, we counted it. And everything we tried to do, you couldn't stop it. And the biggest evidence I can give you of that, and I sent you a picture of this in the group chat, um, Saka was getting triple teamed. Okay, this is an 11 v 11 sport. Anytime one player is triple teamed, the other team clearly something has gone horribly wrong, man. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. You cannot be triple teaming any, like, soccer's good. I'll, I'll give him that. I, I'm an Arsenal fan. You know I love soccer. But if we were triple teaming Son, I would be worried. I'd, I, like, we have done a bad job in preparing for the game. Like, clear and simple. No one should be getting triple teamed in the Premier League. No one who's competing for a top four, a title, top six, whatever it is, top half even. If you're in the top half, you should not be triple teaming anyone on the opposition team at any point. When you do that, clearly something's gone wrong. Clearly you just, you haven't been able to manage the game effectively. Because if you're triple teaming one player, how the hell is someone supposed to, again, when you win the ball back, be effective on the counterattack? It was never going to happen. So... Just by all the, you know, we we destroyed you guys. And I, do, I don't know how any Tottenham fan can wake up today and even blame Anthony Taylor because even by the time the red card happened, you were 2-1 down and you were nowhere near causing us any trouble. You hadn't created anything. You hadn't done anything the whole game. So what were you going to do? With, you, we could have given you 12 men. You weren't going to do anything. So, yeah, Arsenal... For the win, disrespected those boys from the lane, and uh, yeah, very solid weekend. Cheers. <laughs> the man, the man had a lot. He had a lot to say, and it's it's okay. It's okay. To be honest, I could tell we really missed Kulusevski. Um, we needed him for sure, and yeah, to be honest, Arsenal were the better team throughout this throughout the game. I can admit that, but I also know that we could have pulled something out of the hat. I think Son was a little tired from his flight to South Korea, you know, played two games for like, you know, he, he saw, you know, there's that, but 
I can also make the same argument for the Brazilian players. They also flew. I don't know the the the, the, the Gabbies. All of them went to Brazil. Or not. I don't know, but I know that's a long flight. So, no excuses there. But over over to Mangoro here. Mangoro, I know that you are an avid hater of the man Anthony Taylor. As soon as you see his bald head, I'm sure rage just encapsulates your soul, because that man has done too much to Chelsea. And as a Tottenham supporter. I hate him too because he did us dirty, man. You know, if we if we're gonna lose to Arsenal, I'd have wanted us to lose fair and square, and then blame Loris and Emerson for being idiots. You know, like you guys cost us the game because you're poor. Because ah, that Loris mistake was just abysmal, man, and I didn't get it. I think I think needs to sit out for the next few games. But anyway, I just want to ask you, Mangoro, should Anthony Taylor be suspended? Do we need him anymore in the Prem? Like. I know you've mentioned this before. He likes attention. He takes away from big games because he wants people just to look at him. He, he likes people saying his name. So clearly this man is insidious to our sport, man. Or am I just being a salty Tottenham fan? Like, I'm also interested to hear what the guys think about this Bambangora. I want to give you the chance. That, that petition, should we get rid of this guy? Or, or are we just hating? But what do you think about it? Uh, somewhat, I would agree with you on the fact that something needs to be done. Uh, in terms of us, uh, I know from my personal perspective, this is his job. Like, I wouldn't say I hate him because at the end of the day, it's just sport. Like, I couldn't be bo- that bothered about it. I watch, I'll be upset, it'll end. But my main concern is, why is it that every time there's a big game, it's always him essentially doing some of these things? Because now another game has gone and he's now another a talking point. And I can tell you exactly that this is not the end. Like, they will hand him another big game this season and there'll be something else controversial. One or two things. One or two other games, I'd say, this season. And we'll be back to this talking point. There is literally resources that are provided to assist these referees. And Anthony Taylor just seems to be neglecting them because as much as I was watching the game and I saw that tackle, even Arsenal fans didn't expect that. Or Arsenal players, Arsenal coaching staff, Arsenal owners, the people that uh, uh, sponsor the, the leaders over there visit Rwanda. They also didn't expect that red card. They were like, oh, great, red card. Uh, thank you, Mr. Taylor. And it's interesting for you, Mr. Munta, for me to mention this is that just not so long ago, I spoke about this, and you were very happy with Mr. Taylor. It's very interesting now that your tone has changed all of a sudden. As to why your tone has changed, but all in all, my personal opinion, that wasn't a red card. That was like a, if it was close, maybe an orange card, if that would be introduced in football. But for the most part, like, and I think Mr. Samson would agree with me here, a yellow card would have been sufficient. But Mr. Taylor, I don't know, like, uh, every week we say this, like, he must stop being the star of the show. Does he want, like, a, some sort of award or man of the match kind of thing on the display that he put together there? Because this has just been happening for far too long, and he needs to, he needs to, hold, he needs to bring it home and just stop this. This is unacceptable. Very unacceptable. Sylvester, I want to hear your perspective as a Liverpool fan. Do you care about Anthony Taylor? Do you think we're just being too salty about the man or spiteful? Or do you also think that he needs he needs to be removed from the game because he clearly does not know how to manage big games and he always has to do something controversial and something 
so bizarre that people just be like, it just takes it away from the game. What do you think about all this, Mr. Sovasta? Yeah, I do think that uh, something needs to change. It's been happening for so long now. It feels like every season we're talking about Anthony Taylor and, and his decisions. Uh, you know, big games like that, uh, uh, experienced coaches, uh, experienced referees are supposed to let the game uh, run its course without them being the story. Um, especially in a situation like where Tottenham, the way they play the game, they, they like to absorb pressure, which is why, to, a, to an extent, we cannot read too much into position statistics against a team like that because that's their game. They, are, they expect to not have the ball. They expect to absorb pressure and then hit you on the counter. And if they lose one player, it's, it's so much more uh, uh, detrimental to a team like that especially than a team that keeps the ball and tries to make things happen. And so when you have a, a referee that affects the outcome of a game to that extent and, and it happens over and over again, it's definitely something that needs to change. But as we have seen over the years, the refereeing uh, uh, commission or whatever they are called, they are so protective of their referees. They never really call them out and they, they don't really make, especially when they know that fans want to see this change being made, they know that if we, if they make this change, it's going to look like they succumb to the pressure. So there's an element of uh, pride involved. They won't make the, the right, the right decision because they do not want to, to seem like they are succumbing to uh, uh, public pressure. But I do think that it's time uh, as a Liverpool fan, I don't really have like any significant things against him. Just because I tend to to blame us when we lose games, I always think that we could have done better. Regardless of, uh, I think that refereeing decisions are things that are outside of our control. We we can always do something about our own performances, and that's why I like to focus. But I just know that it happens way too much that this guy is at the is, is the is the headline after a game. So I do I do agree with you guys that something has to change here. Mr. Sange, what are, what, are, what are your quick thoughts before we move on to uh, the Manchester United, the, the, the Manchester Derby? Yeah, I was just quickly going to say um, we're recording this on October the 4th on Tuesday. Um, today, a Champions League game was played, Barcelona against Inter Milan. And another controversial decision with VAR happened in that game. And after the game, um, the players, you know, this always happens after controversial decision. Players who feel aggrieved will go to the refs after the game and get an explanation. And I'm not sure if you guys saw the decision I'm talking about, but it was basically a handball by Denzel Dumfries of Inter that wasn't called, and that would have given Barca a penalty to get them back in the game to draw the game 1-1. Um, instead, the referees um, said Ansu Fati had committed the handball. That's what they thought. Ansu Fati was challenging for the ball, and the handball by Dumfries took the ball away from him. And the players were just like, what? What do you mean? That makes no sense. And I think what you guys are saying is right, because like these guys, they will never accept that they did something wrong. And Thierry Henry on the Paramount Plus, you know, like Mangoro's plugs, on the Paramount Plus show, uh, he's, he said it. Like Referees, they will never, ever come out and just say, hey, we got that one wrong. We are sorry. We changed the game for you know for the worse for that team, and we're gonna move on. We're gonna try to and do better. And I think that's one thing football as a whole just needs to change. 
just having that level of accountability. Because I think we, we've all agreed on this part before that we don't really care about who gets the bias, who, who gets what. We just want consistency. You know, whatever you decide, just be consistent with it and just own your decision. If you can never own your decision and you never give explanations for it and you never accept responsibility, like what are we, you know, how are we supposed to support you or help you or even trust in you, you know, long term? And I think, yeah, that's a, yeah, something that definitely needs to change. Yeah, no, 100%. I am in total agreement, man. The refs here, because total power corrupts, right? So if we can't even check the referees for poor decisions and they don't come out and say something. Like, I remember there was a wrong decision that happened in that Aston Villa game or something. And was it Everton? One of the, like, in the last couple of weeks. And everyone was like, bro, that was blatantly wrong. And y'all cost us points. And then after, like, an investigation three days later, the board that was investigating, they were like, oh, yeah, no, that was definitely wrong. But it's like the decision's been done, the game been it's been done. So what does what does that prove? What does that do? You know. But you know what, listener, we're definitely gonna have almost an entire episode on referee. We're gonna have a referee clinic on the Forest Brothers podcast. We're gonna really talk about all these things because clearly there's a lot that's happening that needs to be talked about here. So it's it's gonna come in due time, listener. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. But. Moving on to the other derby here, boys. We saw what a machine in football can do. We saw that some men, it doesn't matter the magnitude of the event. Some men are so good that they will still demolish and thrash in big games. And we saw that from the playmaking by Erling Haaland. The monster from Norway. The blonde beacon. He didn't care. Starlight, the the man Starlight, or, or uh, I don't know, the, the male vision of Starlight, whatever it is. Anyway, point being, man scores a hat-trick against Manchester United. His third home hat-trick in a row. How mad is that? He's already scored 15 goals in nine games. And the Golden Boot winner last season scored 23. He's literally like, what, like eight goals away from that? Like, just breaking that. So, <laughs> we're, we're, we're certainly going to catch maybe a 40-goal roll from him. He might even break the record for the most goals scored in the Premier League ever. I don't doubt he'll do that. Unless, you know, Roy Keane has some child that we didn't know about that's going to fulfill the destiny and uh, break his legs in the next, in the next few months. Or so who knows? But that's, that doesn't like sound like it will happen. But anyway, talking about that, we have to ask the question, was Eric Ten Hag the issue here? Or was this that? Because we saw how he tactically went ahead for that game. Martinez was against Haaland. Doesn't make sense. You know, Malaysia looked out of depth. I don't know. Mongoro, let me, let, me, let, me, let me bring this to you, my guy, because I'm curious as to hear what our boy Eric Ben Ten Hag could have done better, for example. Because to me, the game looked like it was shot. When he brought on Fred, but actually, Fred actually ended up, you know, making making uh, the little play that Anthony Martial, who's back, to uh, to score. So I don't know if Fred was a bad decision necessarily, but we saw Casemiro on the bench, we saw Ronaldo on the bench. I don't know what that's all about. My dad was telling me I don't know how true this is, but my dad was telling me today that Eric said that he didn't want to put Ronaldo in the game because he didn't want to embarrass his career 
because he knew that Man City were demolishing United at halftime. And I was like, you know what? Let me save Ronaldo from the embarrassment. I don't know how true that is. And I don't know where he got that information, but I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, Mangoro, uh, what, what's your analysis of the game? And what do you think my United could have done better to suppress the thrashing that they received from City? What could they have, what could they have done? Or was it just... That's that's just how it was. How, that's how the cookie was going to crumble either way, and there was nothing they could do about it because Pep is a genius. Over to you, Mangora. Sure thing, Mister Mutsa. So, what's interesting is that what's been making the rounds is that regarding the the story around uh, the comments post game around Ronaldo and him not, uh, and Tenog not bringing him on because of uh, he's had a big career and he doesn't want to shatter his legacy. That is actually confirmed because like a lot of people have been talking about it. It is in his post-match uh, press conference, if you go listen to it. So when, just going back to the game per se, like from the moment, I think Manchester United lost the game. They didn't lose it on the field. They lost it there when they were submitting the, the team sheets. That team sheet was already a loss. They're already done. There is no way... As a coach, you've watched this Man City team play. It's not like it's the first game week. You've watched them play. Everything goes through De Bruyne. And you literally... Well, actually, Jack Grealish did shock us that day and had a, and had a good game. You literally bring in someone who is a master destroyer on like a team star player and you put him on the bench. I know he was flying wherever he went to to play for Brazil. But put him in that game. Stop this nonsense of just because this team is doing well. Let me put it. Let, let me keep on. Let me keep the faith with them. It's good that he's keeping the faith of people that have delivered for him in the last four games. But this Man City team is a different kettle of fish. This was another team, and there's no way I'm telling you that Christian Eriksen, from a defensive standpoint, would be able to defend against the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, because. The man, the robot himself, I've been telling people long for weeks and weeks now, he's going to finish the EPL. He's going to score so many goals we'll have no answers for him. Because it's just like, there was a point in time when it wasn't even like, he wasn't even putting in effort. And he just looked dangerous. Like, that's a scary prospect for all 19 other teams in the Premier League. Like, literally, I don't think... There's anyone right right now currently? Well, actually, I don't think. I know currently there's nothing that can stop him. Maybe the only thing that can stop him is him deciding, now nah, I want to have a bad game. That's literally all. Or maybe if he picks up an injury. That's the only thing that can stop William Haaland. Because when you watch that game, Phil Foden, Kevin De Bruyne, Jack Grealish, Haaland, they were cruising. They didn't even have a, a, a recognized defensive mid. They were playing Gundogan. And I don't understand what the plan was because they weren't really doing their usual puck the bus play on the counter thing. They tried to go toe-to-toe. When they realized that they couldn't go toe-to-toe, they decided to drop in. That was, I was just flabbergasted by that. So Eric Ten Hag, like, I think that was a good lesson for him on the naivety, on like how to approach... Uh, a big games in the Premier League that if you have quality players that can help you and protect your defense, put them on. I know he hasn't started him, but if he puts them on and they lose 
5-3 or 4-0 or, or something, at least then it's like, okay, fine, if he's put uh, he's put what he can. Because now the conversation is, why didn't he put on Casemiro? Casemiro would have done a better job. So those kind of things do play into the narrative around this thing. And as I said, like, the man knew we were going to be brought down to earth and they certainly were. I know, they really, really were. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure for Mr. Silverstar here, because Liverpool have been the only team to really compete with Man City in the last couple of years. But even right now, we can see that Liverpool have dropped off. And we'll, we'll kind of talk about that later. But at this stage right now, I think Arsenal are trying. But I don't know how much they'll be able to keep up with Man City, for example. Like, there'll be a point when Man City just run away with it and they win the league by 20 points or by 30. Who knows? So... I don't know, Mr. Silverstar. I, I just want I just want to hear maybe your opinion about the game as well and the derby and like what what can be done here? You know, it's, should, do we just stand back and watch Pep do what he does, or do, do teams need to start like I don't know I don't know what the strategy would be here because they're gonna play Liverpool at some point, right? Because and and I would like to know maybe if Klopp would have an idea. I don't know if. If Van Dyke can stop Holland, I don't think he can. Based off what I saw in, the, in, in, in this last weekend here, he couldn't even defend against Trossard. So I don't know what more he can do against Holland, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what's your analysis of that Manchester United thing? And like, the other question for me is like, Ronaldo, for example, do you think he should leave in January? And where would he go? Should he even stay there? He's he's clearly eating so much bench. I'm sure he goes home and his wife just takes out splinters every night. Because it's just bench warming all day, you know, for week for weeks on. Like I'm sure Ronaldo right now could tell you an expert review of all the benches in London. He he he'll tell you. He knows the best bench to sit on right these days. Um, so <laughs> I just want to hear from you, Silver Man. What what should Ronaldo do in this situation? And should Casemiro be a bit worried about the decision that he made to go to United rather than staying at Madrid? But yeah, Silver, let me hear what you think, bro. Yeah, thanks for the mic. Um, so on the Ronaldo thing, it's it's very interesting because I believe his competitive nature, what has allowed him to have a, a gold caliber career, is now working against him. Um, throughout his career, he always believed that he could he could work his way to any situation, that he had the right mentality, that there's not no obstacle that he can't uh, surpass. And now he has finally come to find that there is one obstacle, actually, and that is father time. Uh, he's 38 years old. He's trying to be a starting uh, attacker in, in the toughest league in the world. Uh, the thing that he should have done was go play in a less intense league. Uh, he should have stayed in the Italian league. Um, he wasn't going to win anything there, mind you. Uh, or he really should be going to the likes of uh, Sporting Lisbon or just go to any 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 league that's not the Premier League. Uh, the Premier League is not a league where where, where you, you you just sit there and survive. Um, I, I, I'm of the opinion that even Lionel Messi would not be good in the Premier League at this day, in this day and age. Because these guys... At this point of their career, they are good at getting numbers. If you play them, like if Ronaldo was playing, he would be getting goals. But would he be helping the team? That's the question. When you watch them play, they spend a lot of time just walking around. And that's what uh, Eric Ten Hag is finding to be a problem. I cannot play this guy if I want a balanced team. 
I just can't. I know he'll score goals. If I played him, I'll get goals. But I, I'm trying to build something that's sustainable and balanced. And in the Premier League, you cannot have a passenger. In another league, you can carry a guy around. If you have, uh, you know, a star-studded team like, like uh, in League One, for example, PSG can pretty much get by with having two or three passengers, which I, they, are, they do have three guys that don't really do much defensively, and they still walk the league. You cannot do that in the Premier League. It's just too intense. And I think Ronaldo made the wrong decision to come back to the Premier League. I think he should have gone to a different league where he can continue to get his numbers and, and continue to, to to look like he's, he's still a great player without being found out. He probably would be found out in the, in, in like in the Champions League. Or alternatively, he could save himself for the Champions League. Uh, you know, just go play a fewer minutes in a, in the domestic league, get his numbers, and, and then show up in the Champions League. That's not going to work in the Premier League. So I just think he needs to go, but I don't think he will. I think this is what happens when a, a gold-caliber player reaches the end. They never accept it. Uh, we tend to accept it on their behalf long before they do. And I think that's what we're seeing here. So... That's a tough one. It's a tough one for the manager um, who's trying to build something different. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to be in his position. Um, but And then Casemiro, I think that Casemiro didn't have a choice. I think that Madrid wanted to, to move forward. They wanted to really give the keys to a Chouameni and, and Kamavinga. They wanted to move forward with the club and they wanted to let go of these guys. I mean, they, they let go of Ramos the previous season. Ramos, uh, uh, Varane, they let go of, of Casemiro now. They really are trying to rebuild. So I, I think that it was always going to be hard for Casemiro to stay. And I think that the money that came from Man United was always going to make it hard for Madrid to, you know, to, to match the salary, for example. Like, Man United, when they come in, when they come into a team like Madrid, especially because Man United, they fancy themselves to be at the same level as Madrid. So whenever it comes to negotiating with Madrid, they sort of have to, they sort of have to, they have to show them that we're 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 on the same level as you. We can put the big numbers too on the table, and then Madrid is going to be like, okay, go ahead and do that. We're not going to do it because we actually don't see this guy as a part of our future. So so the Casemiro thing was inevitable. It's just that United is the team that's stupid enough to actually take a 30-year-old on a big contract. But if even as a 30-year-old on a big contract, if you are playing Man City, you should be starting him. I don't care if he flew in this morning. If you're going to play him 45 minutes, let that be the first 45 minutes of the game. Because what you want to do is establish stability and then in the second half you might you know you might throw in someone else but i do believe that they should have started with uh, um, at the very least uh, uh mctominay and casemiro in midfield you know it doesn't really pay to try and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with man city you're not going to win you can never start a game against man city with the midfield of uh, mctominay um uh, bruno fernandez and um and, and Christian Eriksen, because that's just not a, a midfield that's meant to control any game, let alone break down uh, plays against a team of Man City's caliber. So that was a losing game for me. Um, I just think I just think that Man United were going to lose that game either way. The best that you do 
is is uh, 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 minimize the damage. And you do that by just going in and being defensive as much as you can. Throw out whatever whatever you're trying to build for the season. When you're playing against Man City, it is it is damage control from the get go. I think for most teams in the league, uh, I think I think uh, in previous seasons, Liverpool maybe is the one team that could go in and try to exert their uh, their will in the game. I think that Arsenal this season they should feel confident that they can try to do that. I still think it's a losing battle. For anyone else, when you're playing Man City, expect to expect to lose because I do believe that Kevin De Bruyne is the best player in the league. His influence is just too good. And now with a, an outlet like Haaland and support from the likes of Foden and Grealish and the control of Gundogan and, and, and Bernardo Silva, it's just, you cannot win. I expect them to win the league by 10, 15 points. I expect it to be, a, to be, a, to be just a procession by the end of the, by the end of like March, we're just going to be uh, focusing on like who's winning the Champions League. This is my expectation on this Premier League season. Mm, mm. <laughs> pretty extensive there <laughs> and actually you know as we are mentioning that Arsenal might be the only team possibly who might put up a fighting chance against City this coming weekend we're watching Liverpool versus Arsenal I can see Sangi quivering I can see him shaking a little bit maybe maybe it's what he poured in this glass that's making him you know look a little shaky because I see, I see a little bit of sweat coming down his brow but yes Liverpool is playing Arsenal and uh, we've seen some interesting things from Liverpool this year. And uh, <laughs> so let me actually go back to Sanya about this because, you know, uh, I need to hear what you think is going to happen in that game before we start our Liverpool clinic. Let me just uh, hear a little bit from Samson about where he thinks Liverpool are now and kind of use this as a platform to jumpstart this thing. So, Samson, over to you, my guy. Just for the record, I, I didn't flinch. I, I, did not, I did not move. And yeah, I'll, I'll course, just before I start on Liverpool, I'll course on everything my brothers just said here. Man United lost that game in Carrington. Whenever Ten Hag decided to submit that disgusting team sheet, they lost the game, like Mongoro said. And I want to highlight something you know my two brothers left out here. Erling Haaland, yes, he has 14 goals, but he has three assists as well. Two of those came against Manchester United. Now, I think... You can talk about Erling Haaland and his goal scoring and he's unstoppable. You sure, I get it. But Erling Haaland should not look like Messi when you play him because he's not. Pep said as much in the post game. They asked him, what's the difference between Erling Haaland and Messi? Because, you know, they're both phenomenal goal scorers that you've coached. And he said, Erling Haaland needs 10 other guys to put up these stats. Messi can do it on his own. The fact that he was able to run Manchester United by himself shows you that Ten Hag got it wrong. He got it so wrong. Like, like this is the kind of decision that, well, you know, in five months if he's getting fired, people are like, hey, remember what you did there? Yeah, that's one of the reasons you're getting fired today. So, yeah, moving on to Liverpool. Yeah, Liverpool have it's not been a great season. I know they won today, Champions League against Rangers, but... Also, a boy Trent scored. Um, he celebrated in front of the crowd. Did the, you know, the the celebration with the ears, where he's kind of asking people if they, you know, I don't like the the can you hear me type. Thing. You know what I mean. But anyways, he he was celebrating. He was feeling himself, and it was great to see. But 
yeah, I, I don't see... I see a tough game against Liverpool. I think Liverpool, like Manchester United or any big team that goes through a rough patch, it's the big games where people really focus up and turn up and whatever and, you know, and put in the best performances. Um, so I'm expecting a tough game. But at the same time, I'm very confident as an Arsenal fan going into it because currently I don't think we're dealing with any major injuries, at least of the players who have consistently been, been playing. Emil Smith throws one, but he hasn't played it at all this season, so it shouldn't affect us too much. Liverpool, on the other hand, still trying to work out what to do with Darwin Nunes. Trent, I mean, we saw Trent against Brighton. I mean, this guy doesn't care. Like he just he doesn't he doesn't care if someone like passes him. If if someone's making a run in behind him and they and they and they're gone, he he just walks. He looks at them and he walks. So. Yeah, I think there's, you know, when you have players like Martinelli and Gabi Jesus and Saka who really thrive on isolating players and getting behind, getting in behind and um, exploring them like that, Liverpool is a good team to face um, right now anyways. It's just going to depend on what changes Klopp makes um, in the game. I think the wise move would be to go with the back three for Klopp. Um, I know they haven't done that at all, but maybe that helps or have a double pivot um, for Bino and someone else defensive to just, you know, alleviate some of the pressure for Trent. But if it's just the regular same old Liverpool, um, I'll be very confident. Very, very confident of Owen. Um, I don't think we'll embarrass them because that's not how Arsenal do it. You know, we just win and, you know, if, if the score gets high, it's maybe like three or, you know, it's not going to get to six. If it was Man City, I'd be saying, ish, Silva, maybe don't watch, but <laughs> it's just Arsenal. It's just us. But yeah, it, it's, I expect a tough game, but I think Arsenal are going to come out on top. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for that, uh, Mr. Penguini. And, you know, I, last season, I don't even think we could have said something like that because Liverpool were, were on top of the world like two seasons ago, right? And now it just seems like everything is going wrong. So I really want to give man, our, 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 Liverpool, our Liverpool man here a chance to really go into depth as to why, what's going wrong at Liverpool? What's been happening this season? You know, is it time for Klopp to hang it up? Is there something else that can happen? You know, and like just to just to lay the ground here, to let's just, if we just look at Liverpool season so far, their first game they played Fulham, it was a two-two draw, right? We didn't expect that, and then they went on to play Crystal Palace, it was a one-one. Someone caught a red that game, right? <laughs> and then they go on to Man United, they lose two-one. They go to Bournemouth and they kill them nine-zero. We're like, oh, okay, you know what? Maybe, maybe Liverpool are back, even though Mo Salah blanked, which is very surprising, still shocking to me today. Liverpool went to Bournemouth, scored 9-0, cost Scott Parker his job. He's jobless right now. He's on the market. He's hanging down the blame line because of that demolition. He got to Newcastle. He went to one. Wasn't convincing, but, you know, it's like, you know what, maybe it's progress. You go to Everton, you draw 0-0. Back at it again. You get destroyed by Napoli 4-1. <laughs> and then you go to Ajax. You win 2-1. Okay. And then you play Brighton. 3-3. You're on the brink. Leandro Trossard scores a hat-trick against Liverpool. 
manhandling the man Van Dyke, you know, manhandling all of them. And when it was dire, this this is the moment when I knew that Liverpool there's something wrong here because when Klopp is trying to win the game, he subs out Simakas. He subs out, I don't remember who else he took out. And then in he throws Mr. Milner. In he throws, who else did he throw in there? Like he, I was like, what is what is this man doing? Milner? <laughs> Are you trying to win a game? Come on, man. Come on. Where was Nunes? He, he gives Nunes like two seconds to play, you know? And it's Jota. I don't know how long Jota played, but that's just a patchwork here. Yeah, they won today, but this is not the end. And Klopp has been making excuses. You know, I think Klopp right now is the worst in-game manager because he just doesn't change his tactics. He doesn't adapt. Whatever he puts there, that's the that's the plan for the day, and he doesn't change it. You know? And we've seen teams like Man City. You know, Man City didn't need to buy Holland this season. They didn't need him. They won last time. They've, they've been winning the league without a striker, and yet... They're making conscious choices. You get rid of Aguero, you bring in Haaland, you know? You get of um, Silva, you put in uh, whoever they bought. And then they even have other buys that haven't even started. Alvarez. They have that other guy who plays in the back. Can't remember, I can't remember what his name is right now. But they, they're still making buys that make them stronger and stronger. Yet Liverpool, they signed... Who's that guy from Juventus that they signed? That Brazilian brother. And then Klopp even hates him. He's like, bruh, I, I don't even know why we bought you. And then I still, it, yeah. <laughs> it sounds just so very funny. We thought Nunes would be competing with Holland this season in terms of best strike in the league, but I don't even know, man. Nunes looks like he was taken from Blackburn Rovers. That's 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 the that's the that's the level is at right now. You know, I don't even know if he could make it into Blackburn Rovers team right now. To be honest with you, so Silva, so I've laid the groundwork. I've given you some meat to chew on here. As our Liverpool expert today. Talk to me, my guy. Talk to the masses. The floor is yours. What's happening and what needs to be done for you guys to actually move forward? Because at this rate, I'll be very, very surprised if Liverpool finish top eight this season. I'll be very surprised because you're not looking like you can make it into top eight this season. That's my opinion. But over to you, Silva. Yeah, it's bad. But I still expect Liverpool to finish top four. I'll explain why. But uh, I wanted to, to say that I think the, the, the game this weekend is actually more important to Arsenal than it is for Liverpool. I think that Liverpool need a win. There's no disputing that. But I think Arsenal need a statement win. They need to win against one of the two teams that have been the best teams in the league for, for quite a few years. They need that win to, to, to change the narrative. If they fail to win, if they lose this game... It's easy for outsiders to look at Arsenal and say, same old, same old, that you've had good games against um, low-quality opponents, that you still haven't done enough to compete, uh, even if you're still ahead of Liverpool. Unless you beat Liverpool uh, and, and convincingly at that, it's, the, it, it, it's a game that you need to win to lay down a marker, to say, to say we're here. So I think I think there's going to be that in play for Arsenal, and especially uh, Arsenal being a team that hasn't really done well against Liverpool uh, uh, in recent years. They 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 always seem to fail to, to perform against Liverpool. So they need to exercise those demons. Um, I don't know how that's going to affect, uh, uh, you know, the outcome. Uh, it, I know it makes me feel a little bit less 
worried than if I was going to another uh, team. Like like if we were playing Spurs, I'd be much more worried because I worry. I, I respect their counter attacking capabilities than I do uh, Arsenal's attacking play. Even though Arsenal are, mu- are much more controlled and deliberate about their attack. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. I expect it to be a good game. As a Liverpool fan, I expect that we might pull it off. Uh, I, I expect that we go in there and actually have more of the ball and get caught in the counter like we've done all season. All of the games that we've lost, we've actually ended up having more position than the opposition and just get beat uh, on the counter, uh, which I think speaks to the depth of our problem. You see, we still manage to keep uh, to control games for the most part, except when it matters most. Um, the, the the problems, uh, a lot of the times when you look at why Liverpool is not performing, it is easy to pinpoint individual players uh, because the in, in those individual instances, it's an individual player that should be doing better. But if you look at the overall uh, situation of how we ended up there, the collective didn't do what was expected of them. You see, Liverpool built a, a, a team around the concept of intensity, the concept of uh, making making the pitch very small, very high line, uh, the defence as close as possible to the attacking line, meaning that the game gets played in this very small space. And, and people uh, uh, within that entire space have to be playing at a high level of intensity, covering so much space and uh, covering all of that space and really making it hard for the opposition to to see or even make those passes like in previous years people were bragging about how liverpool is always catching teams on the uh, uh, on the offside because everything was in sync the line was working teams were putting balls over the top players were always offside it wasn't bothering anyone but as soon as the the structure of of that stops working it's a system that really only works when everyone is doing what's expected of them when everyone is playing at the level that's expected of them um but that's not happening right now and and to to the reason i sometimes think that people that are outside of liverpool don't have the the best information is that they're only focusing on this season but i could i could see this happening uh, even last season uh, last season we finished uh, behind man city by one point in spite of these problems these problems were there uh, there's a lot of games where Alisson had to save Liverpool. You know, there was there was a lot of situations uh, where you you looked at Liverpool. If you were looking at, at Liverpool as a concerned viewer, as someone who's just not concerned about a, a result, like the result matters. Uh, but like, if you're looking at Liverpool and thinking bigger picture, you were worried. I was worried about Liverpool looking at it. Um, uh, going back to your point about Man City and how. Uh, last season they bought Jack Grealish for 100 million. They didn't need him. They had Sterling. They had Mares uh, covering their wings. They had Jesus sitting on the bench. They had all of these players, but they still went out and brought Grealish because they thought he would give them something they don't have. This season they went and got uh, Erling Haaland. Uh, they go out there and they they get players. They win the league by 99 points and still go out there and get the best players available. That's what they do. Liverpool doesn't do that. Liverpool fails to win the league by one point and they sit there and and, and say, that's good enough. We're getting there. We can make it work, you see? And and it doesn't work. 
uh, uh, Liverpool has been playing with pretty much the same starting eleven since 2018. The only thing that has changed in the starting eleven is this season. Instead of Sadio Mane, you have Luis Diaz, and uh, instead of um, uh, instead of uh, Gini Wijnaldum, you have Thiago. That's the only change between 2018 and 2022. That's four years of playing with the same team. Guys are old. Guys cannot run anymore. You build a team uh, around the concept of intensity. You need certain level of physical stamina. Liverpool has been overrun in, the, in a lot of these games that they've played recently. They've actually been outrun statistically. They are not able to cover the ground that they used to be able to cover. You see, uh, a lot of a lot of what has happened over the the years at Liverpool is is um, really a lot of overachievement. You see, before Klopp came, a lot of people, including Liverpool fans, didn't think that Jordan Henderson was good enough to start for a team that's trying to win the league and the Champions League, let alone be captain. But he changed that. Klopp came in, made it work. Klopp came in and brought in uh, uh, Robertson from a relegation club, made it work. Uh, he 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 brought he used all of these people, uh, signed um, Gene Wijnaldum from Newcastle, who had just been relegated, uh, made it work. He signed a lot of these guys that were not really, at the time, world-class players. He made it work. But sooner or later, you get caught up. You see, the midfield over the years has been... Uh, players that just don't give you any, anything. Uh, and, and this is why we have a trend problem. Uh, that there is in trend, uh, there's, there's a thing about him not caring enough about defense uh, that you highlighted. And, and it's really frustrating to see from a Liverpool fan, especially when you see the, the amount of external pressure because you would think he would want to, to remedy that because that's the one area where I think he really has a problem. Uh, everything else is systematic. Uh, he has to be up there to try and create chances because no one in midfield can create. The reason that people like James Milner and Wijnaldum and Henderson have been able to succeed at Liverpool, uh, despite their obvious uh, limitations, especially technically and moving forward, is because they have not had to create chances because Trent and Robertson have done that. See, all they had to do was run around and, and provide leadership and intensity and hurry the opposition and cover up for their, for their fullbacks. Uh, but these guys are old and, and, and they have ego and they don't do those jobs anymore. Uh, Jordan Henderson is, is 32 years old. He's injury prone. He doesn't cover, cover the ground. He doesn't do the job of covering Trent like he was supposed to do because without that job, he doesn't really give you much, see. Now, Trent still has to keep doing his job because without his creativity, we don't create a whole lot. You know, even Mo Salah is there. Like, he's, he's a guy, he's a moments player. In moments, he can do something. But he is not really a player that you can count on 90 minutes to, to, to create and make things happen over and over throughout the game. That's just not his game. Even though by the end of the season, he will have like 19 goals and 10 assists. Even this season where he, he's already got two goals, three goals and two assists, but he's not really playing at, at a high level. These are things that have been happening for seasons now. But somehow we've been able to win because the system has been that good. The system has covered for a lot of these flows. Uh, uh, individual players have covered for a lot of these flows. Trent being uh, the second best creative player in the league after De Bruyne has covered for these flows. 
um, uh, Van Dijk and them, uh, Alisson being the best one-on-one -on -one keeper in the league has covered for these flows. And now things have finally caught up with Liverpool, you see. And, and now uh, the failure to invest in, in the last couple of um, uh, transfer windows is catching up with them to the extent that now they are saying next season we want to sign uh, 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 a, a huge midfielder. Uh, they are thinking Jude Bellingham. That's not enough. Chances are you're not even going to buy him because Madrid is going to come in and put a 150 big ones on the table. And you're going to say that's not the level of money we can compete with. Like you've always said, every time that they need to make a, a big decision, they say, I can't compete with these guys. Then we end up going to Fulham to sign William Carvalho and hope that he can turn into Firmino. And then uh, we keep making a lot of these uh, frugal decisions uh, all, all the while, all, like if you if you don't fix one problem in the summer, the problem is still going to be there next summer. But then it's going to be another problem because someone else is getting old and their performance levels are dropping. So that next summer you have the one that you didn't fix and two more that have arised over the course of the season. Uh, and and that's why I, I, I look at our situation and I and I'm I'm quite pessimistic about it because I don't expect that the ownership of the club will make the financial outlay that's required to, to uh, refresh the squad. I think that the bigger issue is the squad now. Um, I think that uh, we should have been updating the squad over the last like three or four years. We should have been replenishing, replenishing things over and over, regardless of the style we were playing, whether you were playing a technical game uh, you should have been uh, 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 sort of uh, replacing players from time to time. But even more so, if, if your whole thing is that you, you're supposed to uh, uh, outpress the opposition, you're supposed to run more than them, then more than then you need uh, uh, fresh legs more than any other team in the league. And you haven't done that. And then the other problem, uh, uh, before I end, uh, the, the James Milner situation, uh, that's a symptom of a bigger problem, and that is Jürgen Klopp. Uh, you see, Jürgen Klopp's weakness is that he's a people's person. Uh, he likes the people he works with. He actually loves them. He embraces their human side of it. Uh, he loves James Milner for his work ethic, for his uh, uh, professionalism. He's a leader of the people look up to him. They actually, if you look at the club vlogs, they have a door named after him, the, the James Milner door. Uh, these are people uh, in the English media spaces. They are lauded for for being the leaders of the culture at Liverpool. Klopp is grateful for what they have done for him during his time there, and he's not capable of of getting rid of them. Uh, that's what separates uh, the likes of uh, Pep uh, from the likes of Klopp. Klopp is too nice. When it's time to show these guys the door, he embraces them. Uh, Miller is 37 years old. He was supposed to leave last summer. They gave him another year. I expect they'll give him another year in the coming summer. So, and, and that problem is really killing us. You cannot be, uh, mind you, the Brighton game, we were up 3-2. They brought in Milner at left back. Are you kidding me? Like, are you trying to win a game? Are you trying to 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 actually challenge Manchester Manchester City by doing that? That's not how you challenge for league titles. And so, yeah, it's it's it, it's a deeper a problem that I don't think is going to get better uh, at Liverpool. Not anytime soon. Uh, uh, 
But I think that the players that are there are good enough. Uh, I think that sooner or later things will sort of go back to a semi-acceptable standard. And I think that you will see Liverpool slowly but surely climb back up the ladder uh, as soon as possible, just enough to make the Champions League, Champions League places, which will mean that the owners get their money at the end of the season, uh, which is all they care for. And um, and we will be back here next season talking about this. I don't expect that Liverpool will be back competing with Man City uh, for the foreseeable future. I expect that Man City will run with the league this year and the next year. And, and as long as Pep Guardiola is there and they are willing to spend money on players, they will they will they will be hard to catch. You know, Mr. Sylvester, thank you for enlightening our viewers out there, our listeners, beautiful listeners. I think this was a very informative uh, discussion that you actually just put put forward and actually learned a lot like that you've literally played with the same dude the, f- the last four years so it now starts to make a bit of sense and i hope our listeners out there actually now see like kind of the things that are underlying at liverpool that at face value you may not see but i do have two questions for you first one being around mo salah's contract because trends that we've seen in the past with players is they perform three, four years to a high level to a point where they want that big contract. And then when they get that big contract, they don't put up the same numbers anymore. Could you shed some light on like that Mo Salah situation around him getting the, from the numbers he put up last season, the big contract that he was he took months to agree on to a point where when you agreed if the Liverpool finally gave in on the numbers and the second piece there around you've spoken about recruitment and things like that and the change at the technical director or sporting director role around moving from Michael Edwards over to Julian Ward like has that also just been part of it like that's where some of the problems arose or it's just a typical American ownership viewing this as a as a business as per se, Mr. Todd Bowley. And and just to add on to that, I, I was also curious about how many players do you think Liverpool need to buy in the January window? Like what would be an, a good number of people that need to be in the squad? How many people should they buy to 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 strengthen that Liverpool squad? Because I heard reports that as a player for Liverpool, your shelf life is cut in half just because of how much intensity is. So a player like Trent, I don't know how old he is, but he's already he's already reaching his plateau stage because he's been ran ragged. So anyway, I just want to know how many players do Liverpool need to sign in January to actually have a fighting chance to even make it into top six? Um, yeah, good questions. Um, I will start with the Mo Salah situation. Uh, that's a really tough situation because he is one of the best players in the world still. Um, he's not having a great start to the season, but he already has like five goals in all competitions and maybe see, uh, three or four assists. Uh, so these are these are respectable numbers, not great, but a lot of a lot of uh, high overhyped players, or I should say, uh, hyped players in the league or across Europe get these kind of numbers early in the season. By the end of the season, he'll probably, like I was saying earlier, probably get uh, twenty and ten. I expect that he's going to be able to do that, but his performance levels are definitely not at that. Uh, he's he's not comparable to a De Bruyne, for example. 
is not a, a game changer to that extent. Uh, but I think when you have uh, when you have uh, uh, a global superstar like that, it's really hard to let him go. Uh, it, it, the, the argument might be that well, he's thirty years old. You expect that there's going to be a deep in form. It's like inevitable. We've seen it over and over. But then the counter argument is like he is a legitimate global superstar, and he's still putting up numbers. He works hard. He runs around defensively. He is doing all of the right things. And you want to have a global superstar. You're a Liverpool football club. You need to have a global superstar. If you sell more Salah, you don't have that kind of player. So it kind of takes away some of your bargaining power there. Uh, and I think that I think it was best of, sort of a best outcome to make it be a three-year contract because it means that uh, after this season you have two years left, and then you know, and then and then you can sort of. By 33, 34, if he really dips, you can you can be rid with his expensive contract. But yeah, him being a global superstar, uh, even from a commercial standpoint, and just being a, a face, one of the faces of the league, uh, I think it would have been a, a grave mistake to let him go. And then um, the question surrounding Edwards is an interesting one. Uh, I, I consider it to be a symptom of the way the club is run. I do believe that uh, Edwards... One of the reasons he might have wanted to leave the club. This is just my own speculation. Uh, the the club doesn't really invest in players. His whole thing is identifying players that need signing. If you're out there identifying all of these players and then you bring them to to someone and say, "Hey, we need to sign this guy," uh, bring the case for why he needs to be signed, and then that someone says, "Well, we don't need him because we already have certain so." Or like, okay, that's not uh, that's not uh, allowable with our budget. At some point, you might be like, you know what? I'm doing all of this scouting. I'm doing all of this. I'm not really able to actually put my talents to work here. I need to go elsewhere. And I think that I think that's a huge part of it. Because in an interview earlier this uh, before the start of the season, uh, when uh, I guess the season had already started, uh, but the window was still open, when Klopp was being asked about the the idea of everyone knew Liverpool needed a midfielder, but we were not signing one. And Klopp was asked about this, and he said, "I I just do what I'm told." He said that they tell him what what is and is not possible in the transfer market, so it's not up to him. Also, um, and and so he he basically said he said that he wishes we took more risks with signings, meaning he wishes we signed more players. Just, just for the sake of we need we need cover or signing players based on what we think they can be, as opposed to uh, uh, we just we just need like cheap cheap players. Like the, the only big signings Liverpool have made uh, in the last like five years have been ones where it's like it's a it's a do or die situation. You need a Van Dijk. When we signed Van Dijk, it was like our defense is so bad. We need to do something. So you have to throw money at it. Alisson was the same thing. We had just had the 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 carrier still in the 2018 Champions League finals. So the the only times they have done that, it has been as a response to like these big events. Same thing with Nunez. Uh, Nunez I think happened because of the last Champions League final, where Liverpool clearly shown that they needed they need someone that can just put chances away, someone that can just be running at the end of things and trying to to shoot on goal is just the whole game just doing that. It was clear that Liverpool needed that kind of player. 
So all of the only time they've been willing to to uh, spend on players has been when there's a, such a glaring error, that such a glaring situation. And and as a as a sporting director who's known for identifying talent, at some point you probably get tired of identifying talent and and bringing it forward only to be shut down. I think that him leaving has more to do with the fact that he finds that his talents are not being used. And so he decided to leave. Like he's, I think that he's going to take time and then go to a, a, a Premier League rival. I think the reason is not going directly to that. It's just out of respect for Liverpool. But I think he wants to be at a place where he can make these suggestions and be listened to and players be signed, which was not happening at Liverpool. Um, as, as far as like how many players we need, I think that because January is such a, a, a tough window, I think we need one uh, a midfield player, like a, a specialist. Uh, I, I suppose specialist is not the right word. I think we need a, a Moises Caicedo type of player. Uh, or, or like the one who was signed by Wolves just now, Matthias Nunez. Uh, we need a midfield player that can cover ground, but has, tech, has like the level of technical ability that's required to survive in the Premier League. Right now we have guys that are just... Uh, old so they cannot run but also they're just technically not at the level that you need milner henderson these are guys they're like our healthiest midfielders but they are not good enough uh, luca modric is 38 years old but he's still doing beats why because he's a footballer he doesn't need to be running around to make things happen our guys need to and they can't do that also so i think we just need one guy i think we need one midfielder that can just come in and play games actually being plugged into the first 11 uh, I, myself, I would choose a Moises Caicedo, uh, put him in there in that midfield three, have him, Thiago, and Fabinho play, have that be your primary midfield. And then next summer, go get that Jude guy or whoever that you want. But uh, if you don't get a Caicedo now, next season, you definitely need two or three midfielders to come and uh, and, and give you the help that you need. But, I, but I, the thing is, I, I still expect... I expect uh, uh, a lot of these guys to get back to a respectable level of performance uh, within the next like few uh, uh, months or, or weeks or months. I expect that Liverpool will be good enough, like I said, to get in into top four. Um, that's just me being optimistic, but also I've seen I've seen uh, Liverpool uh, uh, get in, t- in tough situations and come out of it. Uh, today they played a four-two. 3-1 system, which they haven't done before. I think that might be one of the ways to get out of this situation is to try different things. We've just been playing the same system for too long with the same players, like trying different things. I think you still have, you have Thiago, who's a top player. You have Fabinho, you can still get him. If you can get these guys playing at a high level, you still have Van Dijk, uh, still top defender. You have, you have, You have a good team, you know, you just need to get them playing, playing at a good level. You you can get it done, but you you do need uh, 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 some serious changes in midfield o- over the next two windows. Okay, okay, thank you, Mister Silva. That was a good uh, extensive list. In my opinion, I think you guys need to buy these two midfielders because your boy Tiago, I think his his he he can only play four games in a row, and that's it. You know, and that's to sit it out. So I think. Another midfielder there, you know, your Caicedo, and maybe bringing someone, 
you know, even it doesn't have to be anything of anybody of quality, you know, even Trussard, if you just threw him in there, he could also be, <laughs> it could be good for you guys, man. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's time we bring this to a close, gentlemen. Uh, they, they, I appreciate Mr. Silva for coming in here and giving us this Liverpool clinic. I think any Liverpool fan feels that, you know, you've covered every, every ground here. I don't think you left any stone unturned. I hope Klopp listens to the Force Brothers because I think he needs a dose of reality because this was as extensive as it can be, you know. If we can see it like this, he should also be able to see it, you know. So Liverpool fans, tweet the, tweet the man Klopp. He should come over to the Force Brothers. Listen, you know, listen to reality. Take a step in our office. You know, we'll give him some medicine. And hopefully this helps him out. But um, in closing here, let me hand it over to the boys so I can just uh, say your final goodbyes. And I'll start off with my boy Mangoro. And then uh, we'll go to the man Sanyi and um, our guest, Mr. Silverstar. And then listener, we'll send you on your way. So over to you, Mr. Mangoro. Thank you, Mr. Mitzvah, for the platform once again. Um, uh, in closing here, like, I'd like to thank Mr. Dollar, uh, Sylvester, for coming to the Forest Brothers podcast and dropping some reality because I think som- sometimes we need to come and drop the reality. Let's We need to stop being uh, subjective as football fans and be objective as to are we doing things correctly. And sometimes I think the truth will set you free. Let's not run away from the truth. But yeah, thank you, Mr. Sylvester, for coming to share your insights uh, into what's the current situ- current happenings there. At Liverpool, and as always, listener, I uh, hope you have a great week. And I'd like to say goodbye to you, uh, my brothers here, Mr. Mwari, uh, Mutsa, and Mr. Masanga. And hopefully, we catch you next week. Uh, same time, same place, listener. Uh, thank you, dear listener. Another great week, another great pod. Great to be here with my brothers. Great to gloat in the man Mutsa's face. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. It was it's it's been it's been a great week, and I'm looking forward to uh, facing the man Silvers Liverpool this coming weekend. I think it should be a great game. I expect Arsenal will walk away with a victory, but you know, we'll see. We'll see. I just want to close by saying, I think you know the the man you get. I st- I still think about it, like just how disrespectful it was. You know that, like. I think what's his name? Uh, Luke Palmer, or is it Luke Palmer, or what's his name? Palmer. I know his name is Palmer. He was brought on, like, and Haaland stayed on. Like, I don't think people understand just how bad you have to be for Pep to throw on. Cole Palmer is his name. Cole Palmer. Whenever Cole Palmer comes on, man. Yo, that's <laughs> that means Pep doesn't respect you, okay? Pep has beaten Arsenal so many times, disrespected us. Not once has Cole Palmer touched the field. When Cole Palmer touched the field in the Derby, I I felt that, and I knew I I just witnessed a burial. And shame on Pep for keeping Haaland on, because why, why he he could have taken him off. Why did he keep him on? He's a savage. But anyways. Have a good week, dear listener. Silver, we're coming for you. And I will catch you all next week. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for the platform. It was nice to be here and vent about Liverpool. I hope that I shed some light on some of the reasons we're struggling. I hope that uh, in uh, in a few months I come back 
and things have improved uh i hope that you guys enjoy the rest of your seasons uh i definitely expect uh, arsenal to be to be up there i expect arsenal to be a force to be reckoned with this season and for the foreseeable future uh so i wish you guys luck and uh yeah i wish you guys like on the pod as well it's it's doing so well i think that you're only scratching the surface of what you can do keep bringing the energy and keep bringing the vice vibes and representing the forest <laughs> and representing the forest we shall mr silver more people must come in and enjoy the breeze now we we, we, we definitely appreciate you coming in here dropping the reality and uh i think for the first time in my life i'm actually hoping that liverpool beat another team I'll be rooting for you guys. I hope you guys bury Arsenal. You know, I, it, it hurts me, but I just, I hope so. I really do hope so. <laughs> and listen, if that happens, you'll hear me on this pod next week, rubbing at all of us on his face. He will hate me for another two weeks. And Silva, I'm really praying that you guys, you guys do this for me because I need it. I actually need it. <laughs> so uh, with that, listener, uh, that's it from me, boys. Thank you so much. And listener, we'll catch you on the next one. Peace out.